spent a couple hours on the phone with a former student named Kristen a week or so ago. She's an adult now. She has a husband, two children, a career, a mortgage. And as she described her average week to me, I found my own blood pressure rising. When I finally asked her how she could possibly manage it all, she burst into tears. The thing is, she isn't managing it all. And still, she keeps adding more commitments to her plate. When she finally said, no wonder my parents took turns having nervous breakdowns growing up, I remembered the stories she told me about her early years in Africa. And when she added something about the apple not falling far from the tree, well, I sat down and began to write. In my work with MKs, I've seen so many of them confused and frustrated as they struggle to find balance in their lives. They feel guilty for not being able to juggle it all, yet almost compulsively keep adding to the load they carry. Like Kristen, they might be simply replicating what they witnessed growing up in the world of ministry, where disordered work ethics wreak havoc on individuals and families. A life devoted to ministry is a beautiful thing. If we're not careful, though, it can also become a context in which compulsive busyness and overcommitment become corrosive forces that impact entire families. This is Disordered Work Ethics in the World of Ministry. I struggle with rest. More accurately, I battle the guilt I associate with rest. And I know it comes from two significant pieces of my identity, the MK part and the missionary part. Perhaps this is why the story of Loïc Leferme struck me as a wake-up call when I first saw a documentary about his life a few years ago. Who is Loïc Leferme? He's a French world record holder in freediving, a dead world record holder to be precise. He passed away in 2007 while trying to beat his own depth record with no respiration devices, just the air in his lungs as he was propelled downward by a motorized pulley system. He made it to 561 feet. I was instantly fascinated by Loïc's story, not so much by his underwater exploits as by the sheer obsession this man had with finding the limits of his physical and mental capacities and then surpassing them over and over. Each dive was his death-defying statement that nothing was too much for him and that he would not let the universe or anything else determine what he could and could not withstand. One of the last questions asked of him in the documentary was a perplexed, why do you do it? And Loïc's answer was sobering. With a soft and awe-filled smile, he said, I cannot stop until I found how far I can go. No one knows exactly what happened the day Loïc died. After eight minutes underwater, he was found unconscious by his best friend and trainer, slowly floating back to the surface where his wife and children waited in inflatable crafts. He had found his body's limits, and finding them had destroyed him. There have been times in my life when I've wondered how deep my own Loïc Leferme tendencies go. Back in 2017, fresh off major surgery, 
I mentioned in a newsletter that I was dealing with an unexpected setback in my recovery. I received an email from a friend the next day, and she said, I am not your counselor, your mentor, or your doctor, but perhaps your body is trying to slow you down just a little so you can give yourself appropriate time to recover. That email brought about an uncomfortable epiphany. It had felt good to get back in the saddle after being sidelined by illness, to return to my pre-surgery routines, to say yes as often as possible in defiance of all the no's that had been imposed by my diagnosis. But as I read her words, I realized that I'd actually been drill-sergeanting myself into something I call extreme ministry. And it wasn't a new thing. For the majority of my years serving MKs, I've given in to a compulsion to keep pushing the limits of my human endurance in an attempt to earn the approval of the God who called me and the communities that watched me, and maybe to appease the fear of failure, the fear of lessness that haunted me. There was no verse I could point to that said, you will be rewarded for working yourself so hard that your body and spirit give out. There was no written or spoken message that told me that burnout is a measure of true faith. But somehow, I'd absorbed that subliminal toxic messaging so much in my youth that it was permeating my adulthood. What are some of those unhelpful messages that get whispered in missionary communities and sometimes unwittingly passed down in missionary families? Well, I asked the 1,200 MKs of a group I moderate to chime in on this topic, and these are some of their answers. People don't give for us to sit around doing nothing. The appearance of slothfulness is bad for our brand. We should always be available, no matter the hour or day. Something called newsletter pressure, proving to supporters that something is being accomplished with their funds. We must work hard for Jesus in order to appease him, minimize his wrath, and improve our chances of having our prayers answered. Here's a saying, I'd rather burn out than rust out. Folks back home are sacrificing and working extra to support us, so how can we do any less? And finally, such things as time off for recovery, setting personal boundaries, taking a break or vacation— and focusing on family needs, they're seen as secondary to kingdom work. Essentially, the motivating message is this. Pour yourself out until you have nothing left to give. This is the mark of a faithful believer. This elevates you in the eyes of your creator. Your conscious self-destruction is good and noble. The mission field is littered with the remains of Loïc Leferme types, people who found limitation shattering to be an exhilarating sport right up until it became a devastating curse. And the victims aren't just the missionaries who devote themselves to a quest for superhuman achievement and are willing to sacrifice their physical, mental, and spiritual health to their efforts. Among the MKs I work with today, I see a spectrum of work ethic dysfunction that bleeds into their adult years and gets passed down to their own children. People who live under a constant barrage of pressure to do more and be better will tend to respond in one of two extremes. 
They will either do all they can to perform beyond their capacity, no matter the cost, or they'll choose to divest themselves entirely of any obligation or inclination to succeed. I've seen both archetypes in the population I serve. They become either broken overachievers or aimless underachievers. Both represent seriously disordered thinking. When I arrived in Germany in 1991 to work as a writer for Black Forest Academy's communications department, I came with the full understanding that BFA also stood for Be Flexible Always. So when the director dramatically changed the plan on my first day, I took it all in stride. Looking back, the conversation is mostly a blur. I was told in essence, we need you to teach two levels of high school English, two levels of middle school French, direct the school play and the high school ensemble, and commute every day from France while attending all of BFA's events and developing relationships with the students. Oh, and you'll volunteer in the dorms, too. You can do all that, right? The missionary neophyte in me nodded dumbly and considered the assignment an honor. What followed was a two-year spiral that started with exhilaration and ended in something close to abject despair. I didn't question the wisdom of throwing myself headlong into the insurmountable job description I'd been assigned. Having grown up watching adults sacrificing health, relationships, and longevity to their ministry, I'd already bought into the inevitability of burnout. I was the Loïc Leferme of the mission world for those two first years back at BFA, pushing past my boundaries over and over again, allowing into my life the kind of stress and overcommitment that absolutely crushed me. By the time I realized what was happening, I was utterly spent. Fighting the compulsion to overdo it is hard, particularly when it has spiritual overtones. Saying, I can't do that, feels like a shameful admission of weakness or ineptitude, of insufficient faith. And in an environment where everything we do is supposed to be for others, it also feels self-absorbed and unworthy. I know you've met the people I'm describing, maybe you're one of them, the good, dedicated servant hearts who push themselves so hard for so long that they cannot withstand the strain, the committed Christ followers who sacrifice their family's well-being to the poisons of absence and overwork, the missionaries and MKs who have floated back to the surface, fractured and ashamed after failing to be indestructible. We're all susceptible to Loic's desperate drive to find and exceed our limitations in God's name. We do it out of conviction and devotion. Leave it all on the field, right? It's all for the Lord, and He demands everything from us. We may also do it because, rightfully or not, we feel the scrutiny of others in our communities, and we fear their condemnation if we fail to live up to their conception of how busy and overwhelmed a good Christian should be. For people who are meant to live as Jesus did, we're awfully quick to overlook the example he gave us. Even the Son of God had to take breaks from a ministry in which he was literally saving lives during his time in a human body. 
If people were healed by simply touching the edge of his garment, think of how many more could have survived whatever was plaguing them if he hadn't taken the initiative to go off alone. Yet he did exactly that. He gave himself permission to take a step back, instructing us by example to do the same when it is wise and necessary. We're so quick to quote verses about our bodies being a temple when it comes to managing our diet or exercising more, yet we too often forget to treat them as such when they demand restraint and rest. Stepping back feels self-protective and not others-focused enough, yet our self-monitoring and self-care need to be fully engaged at all times if we're to escape the benevolent decay caused by unchecked busyness and damaging do-gooding. It's a tension I live in every day, as an MK, as a missionary, as a single woman, as a survivor, as a fragile human with finite strength. Yet I believe it's out of obedience to God that we must make wise decisions about our investment in work and ministry, that we must protect ourselves from overcommitment and exhaustion, that we must acknowledge that it's okay to slow down when necessary, to push less, to stop long enough to notice those who depend on us, who are waiting on the surface of our calling, peering into the depths of our excesses, hoping we'll swim back into their lives when we come to our senses. Preventable burnout is not heroic. It's actually mismanagement of the capacities and calling God gave us. And having needs is not a flaw. It's a feature of God's design in us. In Wayne Mueller's excellent book called Sabbath, he wrote, If we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents— They create Sabbath for us. Now, he's not saying that God will cause illness to punish our excesses. He's saying that the breaking of our endurance will force us to rest, and that rest is God-ordained and God-pleasing. In her book, Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest, Ruth Haley Barton beautifully describes how carving out a daily Sabbath transformed her inner self. Perhaps what she learned can spur us, too, toward allowing ourselves permission to pause long enough to breathe and maybe even encounter God in our life-giving inhalations. Ruth wrote this, For me, Sabbath-keeping has been a progression that started with cultivating a daily practice of solitude and silence as a place of rest in God, where I began to experience for the first time what it felt like to cease striving, to give in to the limits of being human, and to rest myself on God's care and mercy. She goes on to say, What an amazing experience this was for one who had worked so hard on so many things for so long. In the process, I became more aware of my drivenness and how deeply entrenched it was. I could finally get honest about just how tired I was, deep in my bones, and this awareness prepared me to really hear God's invitation to set aside my work and my ceaseless striving. 
these shorter daily periods of resting in God in solitude, they gave me a taste of what could be. If you're anything like me, shaped in your understanding of achievement and self-care by being called into ministry or being raised in ministry or both, I want you to remember Loïc Leferme. His tragic example can be a cautionary tale that prompts us all to greater self-reflection and to dependence on God for wiser self-management, on the God of love, the God of kindness, the God who made himself human and knows the limitations of bodies best fueled by sleep and silence and serenity and self-control. Bodies for whom laughter and leisure are as important as passion and purpose, as important as details and deadlines and all the doing that is a good thing, but not the ultimate thing. In The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer makes this brilliant point. Corey Ten Boom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And there's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. I can't imagine a more grievous loss. I have only one fragile body to rely on for the years of life God gives me, one heart to invest in the people with whom he's entrusted me, one soul to commit to a flourishing relationship with him. And those are facts for every single one of us. Despite the compelling voices of guilt trying to dissuade us, we must find a way to love ourselves as Jesus loves us. We must recognize the necessary boundaries he reveals to us in times of stress and pain. We must monitor the spiritual and emotional fault lines through which he speaks to us of lack of margin. We must surrender our compulsion for doing and surpassing to his whispered assurance that he's greater than our best efforts and endlessly forgiving of our shortcomings. He delights in us, whether we accomplish much or nothing. We must choose and practice living both proactively and protectively, sacrificing for those we love, but not seeking significance in spiritualized self-harm. And we must rest in the certainty that God loves us so much more than he needs us. If you're the Loïc Leferme type in whatever context you inhabit, might I suggest these six small considerations that have begun to help me, and I am most certainly still a work in progress. Because until we curb our tendency towards extreme ministry, we will continue to teach disordered work, which is evidence of a disordered heart, to the impressionable souls watching us for guidance. Number one, Study the importance of rest as demonstrated and described in the Bible. Note the emphasis God places on the Sabbath and the way Jesus embodies wise boundaries. The books I've quoted in this episode might be a really good place to start. 2. Pause regularly and for long enough to find stillness and hear God's voice. 3. 
Determine if your daily priorities match what God wants you to hold as most important and valuable. Four, assess your needs and health, and I'm talking physical, emotional, and spiritual health, at regular intervals, maybe even giving those who love and know you best the permission to speak of the harmful compulsions and idols they might see in you. Five, experience the wisdom and blessing of saying wise no's for all the right reasons. And six, surrender your drive for measurable achievement and enter instead into intimate relationship with the Creator who desires not only your faithfulness, but also your flourishing. I'll end with another quote by John Mark Comer. It so clearly defines the tension we all live in between passion and wisdom, between exuberance and discipline, between image and dust. Here's the quote. To be made in the image of God means that we're rife with potential. We have the divine's capacity in our DNA. We're like God in that sense. We were created to image his behavior, to rule like he does, to gather up the raw materials of our planet and reshape them into a world for human beings to flourish and thrive. But that's only half the story. We're also made from the dirt, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We're the original biodegradable containers, which means we're born with limitations. We're not God. We're mortal, not immortal. Finite, not infinite. Image and dust. As we negotiate the demands of complex lives in which obligations, relationships, and time seem to compete with each other, My prayer is that we'll discover that sweet spot where Jesus is our refuge and serving him our joy, where obedience yields health and striving yields thriving, that we will become, with focus and practice, a God-delighting, faith-cultivating, and family-preserving testament to well-ordered living. I pray this for myself for the families I serve, and for the MKs I love. Thank you so much, friends, for taking the time to listen in today. My prayer as I release this episode into the world is that all of us in the missionary and MK communities will recognize any Loïc Leferme tendencies we might carry and seek to understand and emulate what healthy servanthood can be. Please share this podcast or its written version with anyone in your circles who might benefit from it. Make sure you check the episode notes for links to the resources I quote or a link to the article this episode is based on. And I'd be so grateful if you left a comment anywhere the podcast and article are posted. This is a conversation, and I want to hear from you. As I wrap up this recording today, I want you to know that I celebrate the purple you are or the purple you love. Thank you for your time.